0: Hello, I'm Pastor Paul, an associate pastor at Living Word, and this is our podcast. I want to say thank you for joining us today. I know this message will minister to your spirit, and it will build your faith. I know God will move in your life because you are a doer of the Word. Enjoy today's message. God takes pleasure
1: in His children and His family, and He looks on us waiting for us to do the next thing that'll bless him. When we're in a world that we get so overwhelmed with what's going on, it's so easy to do. Uh, even just listening to, to TV news, you can get overwhelmed in pretty quick order and because we, we feel small and in, unable to change things that we would like to change sometimes. When that happens, I want to encourage you to do what I've learned to do more and more as I, I live longer. Allow myself to be overwhelmed with the presence of God. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 says that the Holy Spirit would come. Jesus was inviting him to come and telling his disciples he would be sending the Holy Spirit from heaven. And the Holy Spirit would baptize us with, with fire and power. And he was talking about the word baptize, and it literally means to overwhelm us. Well, I know many times people think it's a one-time experience where you receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and you receive a prayer language, and, and you, you begin praying in other tongues. Well, that is an initial beginning of the Holy Spirit coming upon you, but he comes upon us so he can live in us in a greater way. He lives in us waiting for our permission or invitation to overwhelm us whenever we are overwhelmed. Now, we don't have to wait until there's trouble. We can be overwhelmed in our thought life and wonder what's going to happen next. I used to deal with anxiety when I was younger quite a bit. I'd get in situations and be concerned how it would turn out. I learned that the only way I could deal with the anxiety is to partake of the Holy Spirit who had the counter-anxiety medicine I needed. Otherwise, people in my situation would have probably started taking a pill for that. I've learned that most anything that comes against my life that might require aid or assistance, I need more of God for. Sometimes people turn to the scripture and they start quoting and and talking about verses. We can do that. But I've learned that it's even better to call on God with us, the Holy Spirit, and just say, help me and give me what I need. And he does that and helps us not be overwhelmed. If we're not careful, I think we get so overwhelmed with life and how busy it is that we miss the most important things. The older I get, the more I recognize that. As Lucinda and I talk about how how old we are and how much more we want to accomplish, I I look at what the markers are for those accomplishments, and a lot of it has to do with our relationships. Our parents, as they, they are elderly now, having time with them. Our kids and our granddaughter have time with them to to be able to carve out life. Please the Lord, but also take care of all of these things we want to do. For our race to end well one day when we're done, for our life to be a living testimony of the goodness of God, and to end well, not end short, not end ugly, but end well. What does that mean? Well, I, I don't want to die of a sickness someday. Uh, I want to just know it's about time to go, and I've reached a ripe old age, and Lucinda and I both agree to do this, and we'd we'd like to do it kind of close together, to be honest. We neither one want to be alone. We've been together 35 years. We don't want to be alone someday, so we've talked about things like that, so it's a little odd, Pastor. You're just not old enough to understand. It's not odd at all. (laughs) It's what you want to do when you get a little bit older, and you start planning with the time you have left. It's kind of like uh, at work, if you have a quota to meet or you have a goal by the end of the day, you start looking at the clock at a certain time of day, think, I better get the move on, especially if you know you've been distracted. If the boss comes in wants an hour with you for coffee and you're not used to taking coffee or a lunch or anything, it's going to put you an hour behind to honor the boss. And somehow the boss expects you to catch up the hour. Without it coming to his expense, if you know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about moments where we get overwhelmed and we really didn't put ourselves in the situation to be overwhelmed, but we have been and we need to make, take some steps and make a plan to get back caught up where we need to be. Those are natural things, but in spiritual things, God has a plan for you to achieve that I believe you are the perfect person to get done for him. What it is will be your greatest life's discovery. The importance of it will change your whole eternity. The importance of it in this life will change the the, the turnout for your family. How you handle it and make a priority of it in this life will cause your family to fall into God's order and see a greater blessing from him. Because there's something God has in mind that we're to fulfill for him. And I've learned a a, a great truth. I can't do it by myself. I can't delegate it to everybody else. There's something he wants from me that he will empower if I ask him. I have to ask him what it is. I have to ask him how I'm supposed to do it. I have to ask him if he's crazy in what he's asking for me to do because it will be bigger than me. I have to ask him about the timing because when he reveals it, we tend in human terms to think we've got to get things in order first. When he reveals it, we need to start doing it so life can get in order. Understand the more we line up our priorities with God's priority, the better life will get. I believe this morning as I share, I'm sharing some of the things that are are paramount to to victorious Christian living. And talking about who the Holy Spirit is and what He does, I think, is the the key to having the power of God in our lives. He says so. We can have the knowledge of God by knowing Scripture, but without the power, we're not going to do the Scripture. We're going to feel like we're failing at the Scripture, and we'll end up feeling worse about it instead of better. Why, God knew we would need his spirit to keep the word even in the New Testament, let alone the Old Testament. So as I share this morning, I'm, gonna, I'm going to get right to some examples of, of why he gives us power. I know a lot of times Christians get excited at the word dunamis and think that's God's dynamite ability is literally what it means. But he gives it to us for a purpose that is first his Then he lets it invade our purposes. So if we want God's power to work, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in other tongues and pray our little hearts out. But if we don't line up our life with God's purpose, it's not going to come to much. Those prayers get bottled up. Scripture says that tears and prayers get bottled up in heaven to be read by God. And he looks at the things we prayed that could have been, and he knows why it didn't happen if it doesn't happen because we didn't get in touch with the person of power. I've learned I can't do much on my own for the master, it'll always be something that requires his help. So the helper is called the Holy Spirit because we have to have him. Without him, we're just not going to do God's plan. We might bless the kingdom, we might serve in the church. We might be an usher for 40 years or on the worship team for 40 years or or go out on the streets and witness for 40 years, but if, if we don't have the power of God, we won't get the same result. We might get some result. Why, God will do everything he can to bless your efforts for him, but he wants you to have the supernatural power where you become wowed by what you're getting done for him, where you can feel good about it. I don't know about you, but once in a while, I will tell people, if enough downer people get around me, I will stop the conversation and say, talk about something good. I want to hear something good. And that doesn't happen much with church folks, but it happens out in the world. And I I occasionally, I would say at least a couple times a week, get in a group conversation. It starts to go, we call it going south or it's going away from where we want it to go or kind of going downhill. I like to kind of put my hand up and put a halt to it and everybody looks like, what's, what's he doing? I'm, I'm stopping this conversation, it's going the wrong way. Let's talk about something good. And immediately, as soon as it turns to good, everybody smiles and, and looks better, feels better, acts better, the tone in the room changes and, and everybody feels happy when we depart. Well, if I'm gonna impart anything, I want it to be happy when people walk away from me. So we learn to use our influence in engaging the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus was talking here. He said, you're going to receive this power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I'll tell you something that that I do whenever I'm particularly challenged. I invite him to come upon me again. I most generally do that in private. I do that in a place of prayer. And within five minutes or so, every time in my adult life, he invades my space, and I calm down, and I feel better, and I know he is with me. Sometimes I don't hear any particular words or direction. I just feel comforted. I just feel like somebody's come alongside to strengthen me and help me. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes the feeling outweighs any words anybody could say anyway. Sometimes when when we hear words and we think it's the Holy Spirit, we wonder if it's our imagination. I'm gonna tell you something about feeling overwhelmed with his presence. There's no mistaking it. Once you experience his presence that way and you're comforted by him and you're encouraged by him, there's nothing like it. I would say it this way. It becomes somewhat addictive in nature. You just want more of him. He did that on purpose to help us Choose the right addiction in my mind, the thing that will help us most with no ugly side effects. I marvel at how many medications are on TV commercials in the course of an hour of TV and adult television. Nine or ten is not unusual, different ones. I always hear the same thing. I really don't listen to what they cure because I'm not going to probably want them or need them. But I hear all the side effects and I think, dear Lord, who would want to try that even? And then you see all the lawsuits for all the things that they didn't announce enough side effects for that people are suing for and all the lawyers that are standing behind that. And I think, okay, who would want the side effects of all of that or the risks of all of that for the unknown when we can have a known commodity that will only help us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So it's with some boldness I can come before you and say you will do no better than having a close relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. He will enrich every aspect of your life if you invite him to. How do we invite him? We have a conversation that is as real as talking to someone next to us. I talk out loud to the Holy Spirit in English Why? he's God with me. He wants to have a conversation. He wants to know what I want to talk about. He wants to know what I want to know about. He's not going to butt in and tell me what he thinks unless I ask his opinion on something. Anyway, we'll talk a little bit more about him this morning. Holy Spirit's power is meant to first do one thing that Jesus pronounced, to carry Jesus out and bring people in. Did you know that's what the power of God is for first? That's God's first priority in giving us this power. And this is Jesus speaking in in Acts chapter 1. But he says we're going to to have this power that's going to give us a a new identity, a new desire, a new behavior that follows. We're not going to become like Jesus without the Holy Spirit's help. We're not going to become his witnesses without his help. I'm living proof. I was the, the most backward, shy young man I knew in my lifetime. Never met one more backward than me yet, what I was at 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. By 12, it started to change because I couldn't find an escape clause for me in the Scripture. I had to become Jesus' witness. I had a pastor that would come to my house and pick me up when he was going somewhere, and I'd say, what are we doing? Pastor, he said, we're going to be Jesus' witnesses today, and you've got to learn to talk. And I'd say, good luck trying to get me to do that. And he'd say, well, it will work. He said, I've been praying for you, and I know God's going to move on your heart. And i think, darn it, I can't get out of that. (laughs) And I'd try every kind of way, and I couldn't get out of it. And he'd say, you go with me. And we'd go knock on doors while he's checking on people that weren't in church, weren't going to church anywhere, inviting them to church and asking them if they knew Jesus as Savior. Two-thirds of them would say yes, and whatever reason, they weren't going to church anywhere. But once in a while, there'd be one that wasn't. And he'd do the same thing every time. Imagine, most old-timey houses, I mean, I'm old enough, people didn't have many ranch houses in those days. They were still 2 level, and steps going up into the house. Pastor Tolliver wore a big boot, size 12 at least. And uh, the the door would open, and he'd see the face, and if that face looked a little snarly, he'd kick his boot up in that door so they couldn't close it on him. (laughs) So when he got me to witness, I did the same thing. But when I kicked my foot up, I kicked the lady's ankle, and she screamed. (laughs) First time I ever tried, I said, see, I told you it wasn't going to work for me. He said, that's no excuse. He said, you just don't have to push quite so hard and don't be nervous. Say, really, Pastor? Yeah, really. That's how it started out. So it it might be wise to ask the Holy Spirit to help you. If you want power in the rest of your life, give him the first bit of power in witnessing. That's what I learned going around with Pastor Tolliver in those days. And I thought it unfair, but he, he told me one day, he said, if you can't do this, you won't be fit to preach in a pulpit. And I learned from that. Now, that's a preacher standard, not really. This is what Jesus said. He gave four places, four examples, were to witness for him. And I believe every believer should experience all four. I don't believe it's carved out where one does this and one does that. It's progressive. The Holy Spirit will be patient with you as Jesus' witness, but he expects us to progress through the full gamut of what Jesus said. He said it's going to start out first in Jerusalem. For them, that was their home people. That was their family in particular. The first place the Holy Spirit empowers us to witness is with the family. Yet for many people, it's the hardest place. Don't you know that that God will give you an anointing for what seems hardest to you because it's easiest for him? He knows you already have an in with family. They may just not be acting like it right now, but you have an in with them. You have a, a, a blood connection or a covenant connection. Scripture says when you pray for your family, doubly God moves on your behalf because you have the right and the authority to reach into that group of people. So I think sometimes we let, let passivity take hold of us and we don't recognize how to be a witness. I'm gonna tell you, with family, your closest people, the key is to have the character of Christ Jesus in you As much as you can. I'm going to tell you another secret. Nobody does it all the time. Not met anybody yet that I haven't seen blow it when it comes to the character of Christ under the right pressures and situation. If you've never done that under the right pressures or situations, a word came out of your mouth or an attitude rose up or you rolled your eyes at somebody who's done you wrong 50 times and here they come to do it again sometimes the character of Christ we put on the back burner and our own feelings come out that happens more with home people than anybody else why you'll experience more stress together at home than you do with a friend here and there or somebody far away in the earth so you would think Jesus would start with the hardest last but he starts with our greatest challenge first because it's the most important you will never have a greater influence with any group of people than you have with your family. So when we go to reunions or we go to, to family planned events, Lucinda and I pray and we trust God to show us what's our mission within the mission. Everybody knows we're preachers and we don't mind them being uncomfortable with that if, they, if they're going to be. But we choose first to, to demonstrate the character of Jesus and be loving and be kind and be gentle And show the fruit of the Spirit. But you can count on something at the family reunion. They're going to call on me to pray. You can count on something if somebody gets sick. The family's going to call for prayer. You can count on something if somebody's kid runs away. They're going to call me and ask me, where are they? The Holy Spirit should tell you. And they're going to expect the answer. You'll learn through the years that you better walk close with God. Because people really are paying attention. Especially your home people. Well, Pastor, you don't know. Mine act hard. People put on acts all the time. That's why Jesus said he would judge by the heart. I'm glad of that. I'm glad he doesn't look at my actions. He looks at my heart. But what he wants me to do is have the kind of actions that people see God in, and they want more. Now, So he starts out with uh, our family people. Then he said in all Judea, That means your Christian identity should invade your workplace, the marketplace. You should be known to be a Christian in those environments. Well, pastor, that's a a persecuted thing now. I know it. Too bad God didn't change his mind and put it not in the scripture. He put it in there. Why? He wants us to see that there's a challenge in some things. Christian life's not going to get easier. It's going to be more challenging. It's the nature of living in the end times. We have to decide, how do I meet the challenge? I don't do it alone. I do it with the Holy Spirit's help. I can't be a witness in those places without him showing me how to be. I worked for a non-Christian man for, for more than 10 years as the vice president of his company, and he didn't want people witnessing or sharing religion unless it was his. But the Holy Spirit has a way of bypassing anything recognized as religion to reach into someone's heart and make a difference. And he would always marvel and say, why is it people come to you with a bleeding heart and they leave healed? Why it's that Jesus doing that. So you find, uh, oh, over time I got more and more liberty to do what I wanted to. And I ended up having Bible studies at every property that I was managing. Every single one. And people came to the Lord Jesus and were filled with the Holy Spirit and even baptized in water. Many times in that setting, more more than I've ever seen in church the whole time I've been here. I was around a lot of unsaved people. So we we got a lot of unsaved people saved and a lot of people that were hurting came to know God. They wanted to know the God that was gentle. They wanted to know the God that was loving. They wanted to know the God that was kind. They wanted to know the God that was long-suffering. They wanted to know the God that was a God of faith instead of failure. They wanted to know know the God that would would always be there for them. So we become the person that's always there for them in the workplace. You want to become known as that person. Somebody gets in trouble, they have an ear to talk to. And sometimes you just listen. Sometimes your greatest witness in the marketplace or in the public is just being the best listener. I've learned something about trust. People don't trust you for your words. They trust you for your listening. They choose, choose you because you will hear the emotion that they're trying to express and give them a chance to express it and share it. Then you respond gently, not pushing. Why? You are out to build a conversation in relationship. You're not a witness by preaching. Preaching is not a witness. It's a different kind of witness. I'll say it that way. You're not out to become a preacher. You're out to become a great listener. And then listen for the Holy Spirit. At the same time you're listening here with your ears to the person, listen for the Holy Spirit to give you an idea or a thought in how you should respond in a way that will trigger more conversation. Because when the conversation's over, your witness is done. So you want to have an ongoing conversation. In the marketplace, in the workplace, for years you build a reputation my reputation was he's the honest one that's a good reputation if you're you're trying to do business why well, people want to do business with someone who is honest it doesn't mean i wouldn't try to make the most money or get the best deal or do what i needed to for my boss But I would be straightforward and honest with people. And what happened is I became the negotiator for the company rather than the owner of the company. Why? For listening well and then being honest in my response. could go into a lot of stories, but I won't. This isn't a business session. This is a witnessing session. But I would say I've won more people in the arena of business to the Lord Jesus and to be filled with the Holy Spirit than I will probably ever see in the church world. It was a bigger world. I want to tell you, you will win more people to Jesus in the marketplace and in your workplace than you will ever do in church. Saved people come to church predominantly. So we have to see that we're a witness wherever God placed us. Don't think your job is just for you to make money. It's not. You are a strategic plant by God if you will become willing to be. Say, Pastor, I've been there five years and nothing's happened you're the one to make it happen by saying, Holy Spirit, give me a person. I promise you, you pray that, he's going to give you a person. I've never seen him not do it yet. There are certain places I interact with with business people all the time, and if the relationship grows a little bit cold, uh, most, most of the places Lucinda and I trade or do business, we know we've been sent. We have an association and a connection. We choose who we do business with carefully. If we're buying a car, if we're doing anything, we choose carefully why we believe God has a mission that's bigger than our mission. So we try to align with that. When we're out in public, when I'm I'm going to to a service or something that somebody's doing something for me that I'm paying for, if I see that person, and it's been a while since we've talked about the things of God, I say, Holy Spirit, I'm on my way to so-and-so. You know it's grown a little cold in this relationship. You know I don't like to waste my time while I'm out there. Give me a person. If it's not the person I think it is, if it's not the person I've been talking to, give me another person. I'm going to tell you every time without fail. If the person I think is my primary, I work on people all the time. Some of them over the course of years and years and years and years, sharing a little more and a little more and a little more. Sometimes people are in such a deep hole your witness takes a while before they'll take hold of the ladder and start coming up out of their hole and and to talk with you. But if it gets a a little bit cold, I ask him to give me a person and I'll be talking to the person I think I'm assigned to and somebody else will walk up and butt in. I heard you talking and you said, and I want to know about that. (laughs) Here's the person. God gave me a person. Why? If if you are kind, if if you exhibit the character of the Holy Spirit when you're sharing with people, They will want to hear more from you. And it's a matter of choosing to do it in a way that the Lord Jesus would. Now, I hear people say all the time regarding sin and sinners, well, you got to love everybody. No, you've got to love them God's way. (laughs) You've got to strategically love and recognize, I care about this person enough that I'm going to invest the time it takes to have a conversation You don't have a conversation until they are giving back to you, particularly asking questions. So in the marketplace, is it challenging? Yes. Is it rewarding? Absolutely. Now, a lot of stories in that arena. Then he says the the unthinkable to the people in the room. He says, then you're going to go into Samaria. Samaria, they, they weren't supposed to have anything to do with Samaria or Samaritans. They went around that part of the countryside because those people had a a, a twist on Christianity, but they'd mix some other things in and they were considered from even Old Testament times not to be God's people. They had a little different form of worship, a little different. They did some things differently. But Jesus said, you're going to go into Samaria where the rejected people are, where the hurting people are, where the ignorant people are where the people who will openly challenge you are. Well, you don't want to do that until you first learn to witness to your family. You don't want to do that until you learn to take Jesus into your workplace and and where you already have influence because then he's going to send you in a place where you have no bearings There have been a number of times in my life where he's told me, go there and minister to that man or that woman, particularly men. Two women, lots of men in in my time. Go there to a place of business usually, sometimes to a residence, and minister to that man. There have been a few times he said, that couple. Whenever I've done that, it was like making a cold call in sales. I never wanted to be the salesman because I hated that experience. I tried it a little bit with a roommate of mine in college that was selling cookware, and I hated it. I hated it for him. I hated it for me. I hated driving him out there. I wanted nothing more to do with that because I just didn't feel comfortable doing that. God's not going to make you a salesman on cold calls with your witness until you're working on your family and working in your workplace. But he might call on you. You might wake up one day thinking you're going to go to a place of business for something you want, and he sends you and assigns you to a person. I right now have a number of people I've been assigned to where I marvel at why God's picking me to go into an arena where I don't know these people, and my first inclination, well, they won't receive from me. But I find it remarkably tells me the one thing to talk about where they do. And there are so many things like that going on that are are hot topics, hot things in my life. I can't tell you who. I won't tell you just what. But I'm going to tell you the spice of your Christian life starts out about right there. Family, whether you know it or not, your unsaved family expect you to try to get them. They do. They might put up a shield or put up a, they might put up a little fuss and act like they don't, but they expect you to try. Why? They know you love them. They know that for you, that's an expression of love. In the workplace, you should be known as a Christian, but people won't know what kind of Christian. Christian right now has a lot of different meanings, and a lot of them have nothing to do with Jesus, who he is, what he acts like, or anything else. they are old religious stuff. There's newfangled, new age, weird stuff. There's all kinds of things people are calling Christian. You want to be his living example of who Jesus is to the people around you so they can see the real deal. You're the real deal. And how you do that well is relax, be yourself, but let God have room to speak through you and do things through you. Be genuine, be real. People can, people can, can pick up on quickly if there's something you're putting on. Many times in these relationships over time that I call Samaria relationships, God will give me something that will rock their world. There will be a phrase that we say or a Bible verse that I share, what have you been thinking about or what have you been doing? I never respond the way anybody thinks I'm going to when they ask me those questions. I always have something that I know I can bring that is going to bear Christ Jesus instead of what I'm thinking about or what I'm doing. Why? I'm doing something for the master. So you you want to think in these terms, be easy on yourself. But be obvious when you're sharing Jesus' love, his character. And be strategic. Recognize you're not in any relationship just as a human being. You're God's human being. And when you acknowledge that to him, his spirit will come upon you to make a difference. There's times in these relationships I seem like nothing more than a good listening friend. But there are other times I bring just the little bit of something that rocks their world and gives them a right perspective. And I've seen over time, without fail, salvation will be the result. They want more of God. We have to be patient. Recognize you're not in it for the short term. You're in it for the long haul. But Samaria was the the place they didn't want to hear they were going to be sent. They They didn't want power for Samaria. But he said, if you want power for your family, the same power is going to eventually move you to the unloved, unlovely, unfamiliar, maybe even those that persecuted you. I don't know if you've ever won somebody that persecuted you because you're a Christian. There is nothing like it in the earth. Many times we're persecuted and I hear Christians say, vengeance is mine, says the Lord's. He'll get them back. His vengeance is to get them saved and get them out of the hand of the enemy, not make them feel bad that they were ornery to you. That's just human nature. Christians are ornery to each other. If God was out in vengeance on orneriness, we'd all be done for. That's not what that verse means. I mean, he's going to snatch them out of the pit of hell through a person. That's how he'll get vengeance. When you win somebody you think was impossible and persecuted you, you've been a part of God's vengeance. And I'm telling you, there's nothing like that. There's nothing like God's vengeance because it comes in the form of love. That's good. It's astonishing. There's nothing in the world that gets back at people like God's love. Nothing like it. Now, then he, he gives the kicker unto the uttermost parts of the world. The forgotten edge of the world. Other countries, other nations. It particularly means people in places where you have no interest or agenda on your own and you'd just as soon never be a part of if you were going to make up your mind on your own. So somewhere along the line, you're probably going to go on a missions trip. It may not be to Hawaii, just to tell you. (laughs) It's not a foreign land, and I wouldn't call it, though it's far away. It's not the uttermost part of the world. But I can give you some that are. But I'm going to tell you something here. God really isn't going to task you personally with that. You can go on a missions trip. But to be tasked and assigned to a nation personally, you will do the other things first. I remember in Bible school when when I was told by the dean of missions, I was his student assistant. He said, you will go on missions trips this year. There are 70 being planned. Choose which ones you will go on. Well, how am I supposed to choose? He said, the fact you have to ask me that tells me you don't know. So you just pray and say, Holy Spirit, where am I to go? He said, don't look them up. Don't look on a map. Don't get your encyclopedia. I mean, we didn't have all the search engines and all this in 1979 and 1980 that we have today. But I could pull out the encyclopedia and look at the pictures and decide if it was a place I wanted to go or not. But what I saw and what I read in there... And I remembered a few places I wasn't going to go. One was New Guinea because Darlene Hoover educated me on New Guinea because she was not going to go there in her whole lifetime because it scared her to pieces. It scared her to pieces, so I ruled it out. It will not happen for me either. Why? We're kin. We think alike. Now, did she go, did I go? We didn't go there. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me very clearly. I was reading the list of countries when Guatemala came up. And I knew I'm personally assigned... And have a responsibility for God to the people of that nation. So that carries over into our church. Not because I have it, but because of what God's done and building relationships there. And others have come on board with that. So a way to test other nations is go with us. Go on a missions trip. But recognize he's not going to make you a missionary to the far reaches of the earth until you've been a missionary to your family. And in the workplace. And in the place where people would reject you, might be the, the tavern buddies you used to hang with that you've disassociated with that now you're supposed to win. I've won a few of those. You, you catch them at the right moment and, and you talk to them. Why, they get a little easy if they're a little soppy. You say, really, Pastor? You betcha. You betcha. Use the world to your advantage and watch God anoint you For results, because he will. I'm going to get to the last couple legs here. That's the witness part of it. So how in the world will I do that? He gives us a practical way. In Galatians, Galatians is largely about interaction with the Holy Spirit in Christian life. And it talks about a phrase we call the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I, I grew up thinking I have to produce the fruit of the Spirit... And then I would read, the Holy Spirit gives you prayer that is nothing more than groaning. And I would think, okay, the groaning is to produce the fruit of the Spirit that I don't have. Long-suffering, which is patience, would be one of them. Patience has not been a family trait. In my family tree, as far back as I can see, in anybody, it didn't exist. So I just assumed we are not patient people. We are rammy, pushy, get it done kind of people. And I accepted that identity at my parents' bequest at a very early age. I learned that the Holy Spirit can impart that to me if I will give him a chance. And he'll help me be patient. And I've had to learn that. I've watched it translate down into my kids who mostly saw me model impatience. So I'd say they're better than I used to be but they're probably still challenged. Well, I, I see Avelyn, our grandchild. She's just a little thing. But one of, her, one of my favorite moments with her has to do with patience. She doesn't know it's been a family challenge for generations. She has no idea. But whenever there's a birthday, she loves birthdays. The cat can have a birthday. The other cat can have a birthday. Grandma can have a birthday. Grandma can have 10 birthdays. If there's a cake, it must be somebody's birthday. And she just loves celebrating and gets excited and everything about it and claps her hands and dances around. It's just a, it's a wonderful picture of joy. But joy can change in an instant because there's a requirement sometimes to wait Lucinda will usually put the cake on a stand in the center of the dining room table and set a table for a birthday party and Evelyn can see over the top of the table. So she walks in and sees the cake, oh, birthday cake, and she's ready right now. She knows her place, she'll run over to it, but her mom will generally be the one to say, "Evelyn, be patient, we're having cake later. And she'll look up and she'll say, patience! <laughs> and take her a little, water. it's not in her little human nature to want to. But then she will turn and say, yes, ma'am, to her mommy because she chooses to. Because if she doesn't choose to, the cake might go right past her place without any landing on her plate. And she knows that by experience. So she chooses to accept someone else's standard so she can learn what that experience is like. That's how character is imparted. We hear it from someone who has it, and they are looking for a certain response, and if we want too bad enough, we learn to muster it, or we do without something we could have had. She's a good example. If she was here, I would try to act that out, and you would have laugh and be in stitches, and there are other things, but it's a great example of God giving us what we need as our Father, And we have to understand the concept and kind of get a hold of it. I think now when she screams it out, it's just because she really is voicing her impatience, but she has to accept to meet the standard somehow. And that frustration comes out in me. It comes out in groanings when I'm praying. With her, it comes out a little screaming. Maybe once in a while, I'll have a little screamy fit too. Not very many though. I don't do many of those. Galatians 5.1 tells us our personal witness can be spirit-filled you have to be you, but you have to have Jesus in you. You have to have his spirit in you. So I talk about what the Holy Spirit's power is for. He will totally change everything about your life and make it better, but he wants to start with what, what God's priorities are first. And when we start to witness, that's his first priority, but his next is to change our character so we are a living witness and we don't have to be conscious of it so much. I've had people say to me many times, I I appreciate your grace, your kindness. I've learned to do that. It just seems to be what happens with me now. I would say not so much 20 years ago, certainly not so much 30 years ago, 40 years ago, hanging on the wall Well, I was impatient, (laughs) and grace and impatience didn't go very good together. Now, Galatians 1 tells us, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ Jesus has made us free. He's given us a liberty, and we're supposed to stand in a liberty. The liberty isn't to do our own thing. The new liberty is to do our thing his way, to couple who he is with who we are so we become new. He says, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. It means that our behavior, we get a choice every time we are living life and in any kind of situation. Am I going to be the old me or am I going to be the renewed me in Christ? Am I going to respond according to how I feel? Our, our feelings will not be charged with God until we take authority over our feelings. Grace came from taking authority over how I felt about something and biting my tongue and not speaking my mind. Well, I'm pretty quick wit when it comes down to it. I have something to say in any situation if I choose to go there. I've learned to turn that burner on the stove top off because it always burns the food I'm cooking. It always ruins things. Then we learn to do it God's way. Now, be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So if I used to be impatient, that was a yoke of bondage to me. So if I choose to go back there, I'll have the bondage of that again. I can tell you if I went back there, my wife wouldn't like me so much. Why? She's had the more patient version of me. Than what I used to be. And seeing me grow in it. In fact, I'll say, she helped me grow in that. Cool your jets, Mr. Doug. And I look up and say, yes, ma'am, mama, dearest. A little sarcasm back and forth. And I had to get rid of the sarcasm. My mama don't like that. <laughs> okay. Some of the guys are kind of laughing. Same kind of thing, see. The yoke of bondage. But the fruit of the spirit. See, he immediately tells us how to not have the yoke of bondage. He immediately tells us how to harness wrong behavior and have it become right. But the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is that? That's Jesus' Spirit, is love, is peace, is long-suffering or patience, is gentleness, is goodness, is faith or faithfulness. It means meekness and temperance or self-control. I've watched a lot of people have problems with self-control, and they just fly off at the handle, and they say, I can't help it, and you know what? I believe them, because without the Holy Spirit's help, there are things we will not help and cannot help, and the world handles it this way. Well, that's just environmental from birth. They can't help that they're that way and think that way, or they were just born that way, or... They have made choices in their life that have led them to this end. Well, the end is after we're dead. (laughs) The end is not while we're living. We may have gone down a certain path to behave a certain way. We might be modeling something that we've been around. We might act like the best part of what we saw in parents and even the worst part we saw demonstrated sometimes and think, this is just how it is. This is how it's going to be. This is how I was brought up to think. Well, we can have the mind of Christ, he says. To truly be Spirit-filled can be measured one way. Where is the fruit of the Spirit and is it increasing in me personally? Don't try to look at somebody else's tree. They should reach out and club you for that. (laughs) You look at you and say, Jesus, help me. Why, he's helping us be more like Him and his spirit lives on the inside. Well, I'll tell you something. We are without excuse is how he sees it. He died for that. He died to give us that witnessing ability. Your witnessing ability in all of those four places is not because of boldness. It will not be because of personality or how much knowledge of the scripture you have or even how prayed up you are. Your witness in all of those arenas depends on the person of the Holy Spirit having some room to work through you so that you take on his character. And when you take on his character that way, people notice that and they love that. When when you go into a situation where somebody is unloved, be the loving one. Figure out what it is to do that for that person If you're in in a room where at work and everybody's blowing up over the new quota, be the one with some meekness and say, we can do it if we work together and calm the situation down. Be the one that can have patience when everybody else is fed up and walks away. Be the patient one that doesn't walk away from the person. Be the one that has self-control if you have to run from a situation to exhibit self-control. David did that in the Bible. (laughs) Rather than than commit adultery again, he ran from the situation. And so did others. Joseph ran from a situation. We can, if we want to, exhibit self-control. But I'm going to tell you something. You try to do it on your own. The devil will see to it you fail. And you'll feel bad, you'll feel guilty, you'll feel ugly and think, no matter how hard I try, get the helper. Get the helper. Now, against these things, there is no law. In other words, nobody's going to get after you, nobody's going to persecute you, nobody's going to say you're a bad person. Nobody's going to mock Jesus if you do these things. When I look at the world that is, is starting to parrot now, be careful what you share, how you say things. It's how we live. It's how we exhibit his character. And when you're exhibiting the character of Christ Jesus, people are going to start asking you questions. Before I left the company I worked for, the Jehovah's Witness boss that I had was number two in the the nation, if not in the world, in his rank in their organization. He said something to me that I will never forget. He said, in all of my lifetime, I have never seen anyone purposefully act like Christ like you do. We think on most things alike, Doug, I just don't see him as the son of God and my savior, but I respect that you do. I believe that he one day will still choose to come into the kingdom. He's gonna be on a deathbed someday and he's gonna remember everything we talked about because it didn't matter what we were talking about in his office. He'd always ask me some little thing. And what was he doing? Testing my knowledge of scripture because they know a lot of scripture. They just interpret some things differently. Now, Against such, there is no law. I, I remember witnessing at work and considering, will I get in trouble over this? you something, I never did. I never did. In fact, we saw great results. Why am I sharing? Because I think the workplace and the community and the family are a place to go reap a harvest. Easier than going off other places. Now... And they that are Christ or belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its control. In other words, this is something God looks at to see if we belong to Jesus, if he's our Lord. We crucify self-control, our our self-control. We crucify it so that we can operate and act like Christ. Little Aveline, when she's screaming patience, is going through a crucifixion moment. Of I have to do this or I get no cake. We need to kind of think this way. I have to do this for Jesus or am I really one to be called by his name? He's saying here that if we belong to Christ, we'll do that. He says if we live in the spirit. In other words, if we come to church, if we say we're Christians, we study the Bible. If we go around knowing Jesus is in our heart. If we live in the Spirit, we bring Him into our life. Shouldn't we walk in the Spirit too? In other words, shouldn't He be working through us all the time? There are times, especially in public arena, where I I listen carefully to what's going on in the room. You, you, You learn some things like this in business school. If you go to advanced business school, you learn how to read a room and work in a room. I use that yet today. But I use it for Christ Jesus' advantage. When I go into a room and people are talking, I look for an angle. I look for a place to enter conversation with at least two of the people in the room. Not one-on-one. I look for two that are already engaged. Can I offer something that will help them or bless them? When people are looking for answers or don't know how to handle something, particularly in a business setting, and I hear them not seeing the obvious thing and I see it, or the Holy Spirit tells me, I tell them. Invariably, there's a shift. How do you know that? Well, I just listening, and I believe the Holy Spirit told me that. There's a man that's come to this church from time to time. The Holy Spirit's given me some strategy for him, and he's seen millions of dollars out of that. Why would God do that? He's God's winning him and a whole circle of people. That's why. Things like that should happen in our lives regularly. I don't want to go into that. And everybody's like, what? Yeah, God's doing that for him. at God's his attention. no. Let us also walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? I, I, I think about all the relationships in my life. I think about the witness relationships. When I'm teaching, there should be a witness unto the people I'm teaching. There should be something the Holy Spirit imparts. But when I'm with my family, I have to remember, my life is not my own life. My life is hid with Christ in God, who is Jesus in this setting right now. I remember when my grandparents on my dad's side were both passing away, both, both instances, different times, who I needed to be. I'm the oldest grandson on that side of the oldest son, oldest son of the oldest son. So there were things I needed to say, and I needed to show honor and respect and kindness. But I also needed to share more of Jesus. Because neither one thought their religious experience and all of their trying to live for God could bring them to heaven because they weren't good enough. I thought, God, will use this one and that one and the other one, and a lot of people witnessed to them. I remember going in and sharing my heart again, and in both cases, it said, pray with us again. We believe that. I remember when they came to my ordination service, they'd never been in anything outside the Church of Christ in their whole life because it was considered blasphemous. But they came anyway to Spirit-filled church. There was a respect and an honor. Somebody in the family, the first preacher to be known in either side coming up. But what did God use? God used the moment of being a witness to family and being bold enough even when they're elders and having enough relationship to say, I just want to make sure I have told you what I need to tell you because I love you. In both cases, Their eyes looked back, I love you too. What is it? You have the capacity. You're going to hear me through the year on occasion come back and talk about being Jesus' witness. But here's the key. I was able to do that because of, at that point, 32 years of their scrutinizing my life and my actions from their religious perspective. And they decided what I had was real. So they wanted to pay attention. 32 years for me to be able to share that with them. And I believe they were already saved, but I wanted to make sure. I have time. I will share it. That same grandfather in church all of his life, my dad was with him the day that he passed away. and Dad was recounting this to me a few weeks ago. I wanted to know the details. Grandpa died and went to hell briefly. saw it. came back. People were praying. I don't know that anybody prayed out loud, bringing back, but people were praying. All of his kids professed profess Christ but one, and she stepped away for a season. She'll come back. So I know they were praying. Grandpa saw hell, and when he came out, Dad was with him. He was trying to climb out of the bed rails and get out. He said, you've got to pray that prayer with me again because I died and I saw hell. Now, I, I believe he was saved, but God was letting him see something. He saw people he didn't dream would be there, that he went to church with his whole life, that didn't know Jesus. And it shocked him and stunned him. Dad was with him, so he turned to Dad. He said, son, pray for me. That when I die this time, I don't go to hell, but I go to heaven because I've got to go there. And he said, I certainly believe it's all true now. Dad prayed with him. Then Grandpa began to sing. Grandpa played guitar beautifully. He traveled with musicians when he was young, famous people. He's very good. He started singing just out of his spirit these wonderful Christian songs, many of which Dad didn't know. And it went on for a long, long time. Then he just started singing in the Spirit. Imagine that. Church of Christ doesn't believe in Holy Spirit's with us today. He went to heaven right behind Jesus is what they teach. But uh, Grandpa started praying in the Spirit and singing in the Spirit. Then he went to heaven just like that. I share that because I want you to understand the impact of many witnesses in a family and the mercy and grace of God. To give you another chance, another opportunity. So, well, I don't know if I believe that about your grandpa. You would have if he'd have been there and you knew my grandpa. He was stoic and formal. He was a farmer, but he was, he was Mr. Straight-Laced guy. Anyway, it was a real experience. Why did I share that? Because I want you to understand the power of your witness. That it's never too late. Once you understand the Holy Spirit's priorities... We're going to open the altar. I'm going to continue through Pentecost to share on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does and what he wants to do. I want to encourage you, if you're not saved or filled with the Holy Spirit, be in the altar today. I'll pray with you to receive Jesus as your Savior. The Holy Spirit will help you make him your Lord. What it means to make Jesus Lord is our behavior starts to match his more and more. We start to exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you're particularly challenged, I'm just going to say this. If you're particularly challenged in an area and have rage, I'm aware that that's an issue. When I was talking about patience, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Upon one word in my, my, the touch of my hand, the spirit behind that will depart from you. I want to share that because you you need rid of that. It's an evil spirit. Evil spirits cannot inhabit Christians. They just plague them. Say, why would you say? Because the Holy Spirit's telling me to say it. That there's somebody present that applies to, and he wants you to not get in trouble with it. He wants it gone. Now, all of that to say I'm going to open the altar, and as I open the altar, Pastor Paul's going to come and close the service for me. But I'm just going to wait a few minutes in the altar. If you want prayer for anything, really, But I'm aware whenever the Holy Spirit begins to move, if the enemy is working in someone's life, he goes. He has to depart. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, not bondage. That's who he is. Heavenly Father, in this moment, I ask your Holy Spirit to come upon every person in this room for what they have need of, to minister to us life and peace and be God with us, to charge us, Father, to walk in in a way with your Holy Spirit where we... We have the results. We have the behavior in our life, and people see that. To make us a witness, Father, for unsaved family members, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for great and full and complete success in winning everyone in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you that as we enter into our communities, we are your witness. Our houses are are like a light on a hill that cannot be hid. We are your witness. People can come from anywhere around for help. They will come for advice. They will come for prayer. They will come for encouragement. Our our homes can be invaded for your purposes, Father, in Jesus' name. Father, in the business place, in our community arena, anoint us to listen carefully and interject appropriately a word in due season that will help people and be an encouragement to people. Help us never be the naysayer in the room or any part of it, but rather to bring positivity and solutions and encouragements everywhere that we go. Heavenly Father, for for missions and our efforts in missions and our missionaries, we ask that you help them even now as we witness through their efforts too in empowering them and supporting them. But Father, as you send us, to other nations, I ask that you put it in the hearts of believers here, when they're to go and where they're to go, that we don't go alone, but Father, we go as much as we can in groups. Father, I thank you for living and moving and having your being in this place and making this church rich with the presence of your Holy Spirit. Father, I recognize the true riches has everything to do with who you are and our recognizing who you are. Our Father, I thank you in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Thank you for joining us. A special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that ministry at Living Word Church is possible. You can get more information on our website at go LWC.org. You can also give online as well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with your friends. You can take a screenshot and post it to your social stories. You know what? You can even share it in person with someone who needs encouragement from God's Word today. Thanks again for listening. And as always, you're welcome to join us in person where we will worship together and God will minister directly to you. Be blessed this week and be a doer of His Word.